Hi listener, this is From Ideology to Unity, a spiritual journey for Relico of Ego and Ideological Doctrine in favour of a meaning, purpose and unity as a whole. Today I'm interviewing Leo Richard, a personal development and spiritual development life coach. Leo helps his clients overcome obstacles and inner struggles and ultimately find inner peace. Hi Leo, how are you doing? Hey Nicholas, how are you today? I'm great actually, I didn't answer your question, but how are you? <laughs> Yeah, I'm having a nice afternoon. Pardon me? Uh, a nice, I'm having a nice afternoon. All right. I'm going to uh, go yeah. up stereotype here. So it's about, you know, five o'clock. So is it like tea time over there? <laughs> yeah, well, it depends what part of the country, you know. Okay. In the north, they say breakfast, dinner, tea. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, here we say, in the south, we say, I don't know, it depends. But, well, I mean, soon it'll be dinner time. <laughs> I could say in a well-spoken voice, but um, anyway, so let's start with stress. What are the keys to dealing with stress? Um, Well, the first thing you got to get on top of your emotions, really. If your emotions kind of create the chaos within yourself, and if you're on top of your emotions, like you have really stressed out, ideas or thoughts or that and circulate your thoughts, get your thoughts going. And then your anxiety picks up and the stress goes on. And then um, there's a lot of like reason to deal with this because stress has been um, factored in as the number one cause of disease um, ranging from cancer to blood issues to whatever um, that kind of dynamic. So, but, um, and what is, what causes stress? And if you really think about it, if you were comfortable in your own emotions, you wouldn't really be stressed out regardless of how difficult the situation was that you might be facing. That makes sense. So what are the key, the, yeah, what steps can we take then to actually get a handle right. of our emotions? So um, just based on the kind of podcast space, like, I mean, obviously I do programs and I teach and coach, but just to kind of give a tip out there so that, you know, it's applicable to the uh, audience here is what I call like unpacking your mind or unpacking your heart or your soul or whatever you want to call it and just get it out of your your head out of your space, if you will, and then have someone witness the the list, like your to-do pile, all the stress that's on your mind, all the things that you're thinking about, just and have someone specifically witness it. Not necessarily you writing it down or whatever, but like read the list and go through it. It has a really profound impact. Um, I don't know if you could call it like a quantum physics kind of idea of like observation changes things, but it might be something like that. But just noticing that someone's seeing your, your stress, whatever's going on for you, Um, has a really profound impact in your internal world. And then you start to realize, okay, that's not actually all that important. Why am I even focused on that? You know, that kind of aspect. So then you start to kind of move into, at least in my world and my network, you start to move, you start to unpack that stuff and you start to move into like motivation or maybe a purpose or your why or uh, directing like things that like have that meaning and that purpose in your life. Cause stress really takes away your immediate ability to have meaning and purpose in your life. Cause if you're stressed out, you're not going to really care about creating meaning or purpose, right? You're going to be sidetracked with that piece. So it's kind of like changing that relationship and unpacking your head of all that stuff um, helps you kind of get it out of your space, if you will. And then, you know, it's estimated that we have somewhere between 14 and 60,000 thoughts in a day 
with 80, 90% of that being negative and 80, 90% of that being repetitive. And if you're really stressed out, those thoughts are accumulated with stuff that's much more negative and much more harsh and takes like seven, 10 seconds to recover from a negative thought than it does from a positive feeling, if you will, a positive thought. And so your, your chain reaction, if it's all in your head, then you're stuck in all that kind of stuff. And then you can't really make good decisions. And then you create more stress, more cycles of negativity, more cycles of, you know, disease and whatever you want to call it. So, yeah. Well, I'd just say a lot of us are familiar with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For sure. yeah, absolutely. I mean, the quantum physics thing you said was fascinating. And I guess we'll get back to that, but about this technique, can you do it with anyone or does it need to be a good listener or a psychologist? with anyone yeah it just needs to be observed and seen or witnessed or something like that you, you probably don't want someone who's going to throw a whole bunch of stuff at you about it um, but it really is kind of irrelevant because it's really about you and you just having someone kind of witness it if you will you know you probably don't want to display it on like facebook or something like that like all this stuff because then everybody's reading your stuff but you know, it's important just to have one witness there hmm. Wow. And I love that thing about quantum physics because yeah, I mean, observation does affect reality mm-hmm. and it's not just us observing it anymore. We've got like just a more holistic perspective. I mean, two is double one, right? So it's a good start. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you had, if you really were I, maybe in a group context, like I do have a group where I do this and it's, there can be yeah, I know for myself, when I have people witness my stuff, I can, even if I haven't spoken to them about it, I can tell what they've looked at or their energy or their fingerprints are, certain, are on certain things. And I'm just like, okay, what needs to kind of navigate that? Like, for example, like having, um, like say a press release or a letter to someone proofread by someone else, right? It just, it allows, allows their combination or their collaboration to kind of come as part of that. And then even if they share their feedback or not, you kind of pick up on it and you almost rewrite the letter or, and, and kind of that integrates their kind of level of awareness to it, which is really cool. It's kind of, it's a really something I noticed a long time ago and I, I've never done the, the science of the research behind it to kind of really correlate it strongly or corroborate it. But I've always experienced that when I have someone else look at it, whereas if I just do it by myself, it's got a different quality to it. So, yeah. so to you, is it an energetic interaction? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That's my space. I'm really, um, <clears throat> one of my big focuses, of, you know, I did seven years of training in energy work and meditation and I've been doing this since I was a little kid or before that, if you want to kind of go there and, um, and I've spent, you know, as an adult about 60,000 hours, if not more, uh, it's at least 60,000 hours, just focused on energy work and meditation, understanding energy and, you know, in the kind of spiritual, side of things and emotional side of things to kind of really understand it and different people's perspectives and figuring out what's truer for me and always digging deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, sometimes one day I think this is the absolute best truth in the world. And a year later, I am like, what did I think? <laughs> you know? <laughs> that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's always a higher truth in a sense and that or greater wisdom. And that's almost a good thing, isn't it? You wouldn't oh, want it to be just that one thing you discovered. 
Yeah, like I, I think the basis for me is I kind of have a belief that everyone's hardwired for growth, right? Um, you can see it mimicked in like the way humanity is. I'm not saying it's healthy in terms of our growth as humanity right now, but we're, we're extracting resources. We're constantly expanding and growing and moving and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of inherent in our nature to kind of grow. And on a spiritual level, and I think the, the way the reflection of the world right now is a reflection that we're not dealing with our inner world and we're creating more chaos and crisis in the world. But um, so there's this aspect of like, we're hardwired for growth. And so one of those things is often truth finding or truth seeking or challenging going to the next level or, you know, what's the next gate or, you know, like what's the next kind of direction that we're going, you're always kind of seeking. And in a lot of personal development circles, they try to make it about I'm not enough or I lack or something like that. And to varying degree, it is true. But there's a point where you pivot and it stops becoming about lack and starts becoming about growth and that kind of stuff. And so does that make sense? Today, kind of? It does. It does definitely. But Describe that point, or at least what it was for you, and what sure. and other. How have you experienced it with other people as well? Sure. Um, my point where that kind of happened was in 2014. I did a magic major life kind of reset, and um, I felt inside that there was something off that, that was compromising my integrity. And I was in a 13 year relationship, two successful success, uh, successful companies lots going on like um i spent a decade building out a life at a top floor um i guess in the uk flat um where i am a condo and um and that was overlooking a wildlife sanctuary five minute walk from my office i had my whole life designed you know perfectly if you will and um something was off i was teaching my students to live authentically be genuine all that kind of stuff and then here i am feeling out of integrity with myself and teaching everybody to be in integrity with themselves and so i, was, I couldn't figure it out and so uh, and so I, re- I sat everybody down and told everybody's going to reset my life. It was May. And I told them by the end of summer and the end of August, I would have it figured out what I was doing with my career or relationships, all that kind of stuff. And um, anyways, um, people didn't like that too much. So my life got ripped apart um, pretty brutally and um, rebuilt my life from scratch. And what that drive that, um, that led me to the point of that perfect life was that something inside of me was not good enough. I, I was lacking. I was this, I was that, there's something. And then in that pivot and that reset, regardless of what people were doing to me, my core kind of value or principle I was sticking to is integrity. Regardless of what people are doing, I'm going to keep to my integrity and kind of pioneer through that. And then what I discovered through that transition was a letting go of the, I'm not enough. Uh, like everybody was doing what they were doing to try to put me back into place. Um, almost like I was a Mr. Nice guy or something. And if I, we just do this, we'll just get him to kind of modify himself or adapt to what our demands are and stuff. I was like, forget that. Um, and, and these are spiritual people, people are supportive, well-known. <laughs> it's like kind of ridiculous. And um, so anyways, I reset and then I built it on integrity in my life from like 200 bucks in my pocket. And I don't know, it's like 120 pounds or something like that or whatever, but like, right. and like just really like, you know, a few explosive words here and just kicked off in my life and rebuilt my life. And I'm more successful now than I was back then. And, but it's from a place of growth instead of a place of lack. Cause I was right. always. So scared. did something click in your head where you suddenly felt like it doesn't matter how much you have that you're yeah. fine anyway. Doesn't. Um, well, it depends. Oh, can on you how- hear me? Well, I, I just going to make yeah. sure that you can. 
Yeah, it depends on your mission and what you want to create in the world. So, for example, one of my big pieces I want to focus on is I would like to see global peace by June 2026. And what, um, to kind of anchor off of that, one of the a quote that I really like, and I don't get quotes usually accurate, so excuse me if I get this right but or wrong, this, but it's with Martin Luther King or, or MLK. But his, one of his quotes or one of his comments is that those who want peace need to be just as organized as those who want war, something to that effect, if you will. And so one of those things is money. Money helps organize things. And so when you have a lot of money, you can influence things in a significant way. And I mean, that's the way the world is right now. It might change in hundred years from now, but it is what it is right now. And so you need to work with the system in a certain way to kind of address the system or change the system or whatever kind of aspect. So in terms of the growth, I have a mission of creating that, if you will. So there's an aspect of like, you know, if I didn't have that on my heart, you know, maybe I'd be satisfied with like having the most amazing family and really focused on that. And there, there's a point where you don't need so much money to have an amazing family. Like the, the research is like 60 to 80,000 US dollars a year for making that income. That's kind of your happiness kind of, you know, goes up until you're about that point. But once you're at that point, it kind of plateaus a little bit in terms of your level of happiness with money and, and on that level of success. But, um, but when you're talking about like making major changes in corporate structures or, um, large organizations or human consciousness, you do need, because human money is a part of human consciousness, whether you like it or not, it is. And we need to factor that in. Um, just like nature is a part of human consciousness. There like all sorts of these aspects in our realities, different religions are part of human consciousness. So you need to integrate all those aspects and um, back to the kind of growth piece where like, do I feel like I've had enough? It's not about that per se, it's like, I know what I need to get to to make that kind of difference in, in a global kind of spectrum. So if I'm making $20,000 a year, I'm probably not going to have that impact that I want in contrast to making, you know, tens of millions of dollars, you have a bigger kind of impact or leverage with that money. And that's, you know, I'm sad that that's the truth in their world, but it is kind of one of our truths in our world right now. And then something truer will come down the road. Does that make sense? At least my take. Yeah. Um, not in many ways, it does. I don't yeah. entirely agree with it, but okay. So let's hear your take. I'm interested here. What's like? There's something you disagree with. So let's. Hmm, I'm just. I need to figure out how to put this, or maybe not. Maybe I don't need to figure it out. Maybe I just need to let it come. Okay. So I see money. There's nothing inherently wrong with money. It comes to how we use it. Just like there's nothing inherently wrong with guns. It comes okay. to how we use it, right? Yeah, it's a behavior. But often it becomes about power. It's not inherently that way, mm-hmm. but especially in the world today, mm-hmm. um, in big business typically or in governments, it often becomes about um, if there's a certain amount of money, Money is a means to power, but then there's other means of control as well, which might give someone power. And there's this idea that leverage is like a way of controlling the outcome, perhaps. Okay. And if you're using power to try to change things, but there's a sort of, I'm increasingly aware that even compared to what I might say or what people say online or whatever, energy work 
like mass meditations and or and there's people increasing their frequency makes much more of a difference than what's spoken or even where the money flows. And there might be attempts to control things with money, but the energetic changes are ultimately dwarfed in scale. I agree. I concur. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess the kind of premise with money is it's one of our greatest um, exchanges of energy, like basically, particularly physical energy. Like I work for this money and I can give you um, a pound for a loaf of bread or something for your work that you did for that, almost like a bartering system, but it's more of a third party part of our bartering system, if you will. Um, But absolutely energy. Like, I mean, the, the research out there that's around meditation consciousness, if you're focused on um, decreasing crime or terrorism rates or that aspect. There's some research and scientific studies on that. That's like 60, 70% decrease on those days. And it, it's pretty cool what you can do and witness through that. And I absolutely agree with that, that they're like the, from my perspective, everything starts on an energy level, right? So, yeah. And then great ideas come from your ability to interpret that energy. So the, the clearer your perception skills are, if you will, the clearer you are at being able to interpret energy and whatever the energy is. So like say, for example, I'm looking at global peace right now. So I can see that there, that doesn't mean it's only on my heart. There's a lot of other people out there that have that as well. And so my ability to interpret that group consensus, lack of a better word right now, is to like, to, to fine tune that so that we can get from point A to point B in the quickest way. And that's an energy phenomenon. That's not a uh, money phenomenon. That's not a, you know, reading a textbook or, you know, maybe some conversation in there might help for network or something like that. But like, it's really energetic phenomenon, like even things like um, that are, you know, old, like uh, theory of evolution with Darwin, there was something like three or four, maybe even eight other people at the exact same time that were coming up with a very similar theory that had no idea who they were, each other were kind of thing. Like there's all these like little pockets of people around the world that are picking up on the energy of change of something that's needed to change and just trying to find a way to kind of anchor it into the physical world. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'd say, yeah, definitely. That makes sense. And I've got a question though. So when it comes to, for example, what those people call elites, you know, there's conspiracy theories about them. We don't need to go into that, but excuse me. What do you think? Do you think they um have a they are aware of energy in a spiritual sense, even if they don't necessarily give that information away? And I mean, a lot of them are, yeah. And Not- utilize that. I would say um, some of them absolutely manipulate it. Some of them use it to influence and in their minds, they might be thinking they're doing it for good. Um, some are clearly doing it for their own personal advantage or maybe their family's personal advantage. Um, so just like human nature in a small group of people in, a, in the city you live in, um, everyone has a different take on how to approach life. So, you know, you might have, person a he's wanting to manipulate the group conversation so it's focused on them or maybe so that they're not the center of attention so they're manipulating the conversation then you have person c over here who has an investment or an agenda coming into the kind of meeting at the coffee shop or whatever analogy that we might use here 
that is about finding a partner or something like that. So there's different manipulations, dynamics and different intentions um, in terms of the elite. Um, like I would say someone like Musk has a personal family um, agenda to like keep his family intact. And also there's a kind of a monetary gain he wants to do. I do generally think 80% of him wants to make good in the world. I think there's, everybody's got a shadow. Um, even the elite have a shadow and ever, everybody underneath all their baggage and stuff from my perspective does have a good heart, but how much is their heart in charge of their lives and their thinking, or is it the shadow stuff that's in charge? Right. So if we are to move to a world yep. or transition, maybe you already are transitioning. That's to a heart centered world of mm-hmm. global peace, which is something that you're concerned with. Um, how do we, how are the dynamics going to change energetically between us worldwide or on a local, local, global level or on a local level as we, as we make that shift and what will it look like on material levels as well? Sure. Okay. So the material one is going to be the, like, really, like everybody's got a piece of the puzzle and, some people have maybe a couple of pieces, but not everyone has like the full puzzle. Now, consciousness or energy, it, like some people, I don't really use the word consciousness, um, not kind of my language. I like the word energy to describe that aspect. But so let's break it down into what I call a group mind. And just to kind of give some language. So group mind is a way of how certain people think. Um, maybe the 99%, how they think about the 1%. That's a group mind. It's a certain perspective of how they see the 1%. And there's probably a reciprocal way of that goes as well. Maybe an American versus um, um, an Irish individual kind of dynamic. They have different ways of thinking about the world versus Nigerian and New Zealand or something. There's different ways that those different cultures think. And those are like group minds. Now, collectively as a human species, there's kind of like a, maybe a group mind or all sorts of many different types of group minds in the world. And when you can change the consciousness of people or the energy of people through focused on meditation or prayer or centered, like for example, like decreasing crime rates in certain areas, there's like kind of a collective energy that group mind that kind of goes away when it goes on. So we have this collective kind of resource extracting, taking from the earth, very divide and conquer group mind, which is a very Roman time war kind of mentality. Um, you know, th- lots of politicians use that divide and conquer. Um, money creates a divide and conquer. All Even our language itself creates a divide and conquer. All the I-E-R, E-R words, like prettier, wealthier, uh, it creates a divide and conquer mentality. Like our language is filled with it. Um, there's only one language um, that I know of that doesn't have a hierarchical based thing, and that's Sanskrit. I mean, who's going to use Sanskrit, right? Um, and that kind of aspect. But everything is sort of hierarchical based in all the, the languages. And so our way of thinking is usually by words, sometimes pictures. And so we need to change how the kind of group minds of how we approach different things. And as we address energy and consciousness, then the group minds kind of release. And then people who have the pieces of the puzzle of how to change the world um, in terms of like the physical reality stuff of like cleaning up the pollution, stopping all the fires in like Western Canada. Like, I mean, 
there's it was a state of emergency this past year it's like for the for the past six years have been state of emergencies with wildfires like it's crazy what's going on there's species extinction there's all sorts of crazy things going on in the world and so everybody's got a piece of the puzzle whether it's from their education their personal life experiences maybe it's deep down spiritual knowledge from who knows where um you know as many theories on where that comes from and um but everybody's got a piece of the puzzle and if we come into a community and let go of these kind of group minds of like divide and conquer and come into a more of a collaborative and like what i like about yourself here is like this unity kind of dynamic right and like like promoting that like unity doesn't in my opinion like everybody's got a different what does the word unity mean right like everybody's got a different perspective but it might take it's like everybody gets to be uniquely themselves yet part of a group and that kind of aspect and so and outside of ego and all that kind of stuff but there's everybody's got a piece of the puzzle to kind of build right and we don't need to you know have all this massive manipulation or control or propaganda that's going on in the world to like force people to behave <laughs> in certain ways we don't need to specify it we all know what it is yeah yeah, yeah. so <laughs> would you agree it starts within though absolutely absolutely and how yeah. do we overcome these obstacles and struggles in our personal life within and our immediate in our immediate lives? All this comes back to emotions. If in doubt, check your emotions. And so whether that's, you know, the, the interesting thing about emotions is that often people, when you when emotions are out of control, like say rage or anxiety, or you know, you just don't have control over it my premise and what I've worked with over the, uh, with my clients over the past 20 years is it's actually not your stuff. You, you've absorbed <clears throat> someone else's anger. It wouldn't necessarily be rage or anxiety in that other person's space, but because it's in your space, it's actually causing problems and you try to heal it and fix it. Some people spend, um, I had a client a number of years ago, I don't know, like five, six years in therapy, $25,000 and didn't really get anywhere. And within like a couple months of working with me, she cleared out a lot of her family stuff the, the, their emotions and it was like, holy crow, like, you know, why didn't I just do that? Right. And, and that kind of aspect. And so I can always trace it back to it. Anxiety is more traceable. Um, so I can usually trace it back to the mother of that child. Um, sometimes it's a sibling, but it's like 80, 90% of the time that mother's insecurity and anxiety that they've taken on. And then they're running that anxiety um, in their lives and through, you know, however it's manifesting in their lives. But yeah, going to deal with emotions. Your emotions are healing, therapeutic for yourself, sadness, anger, whatever, joy. They're all therapeutic for you when they are your own emotions. If it's not therapeutic and healing for you, from my experience over the years, you got someone else's stuff in your space or a lot of messages in your space that are making it kind of unhealing or unhealthy for you. Like anger is a bad emotion, right? That's a very common message. Um, it isn't. Um, most people think of anger as judgment or resistance or blame. Um, that isn't actually anger. In my opinion, anger is actually very similar to life force energy. Like if you're depressed or low energy and you give yourself some anger, you're not going to be depressed. You're not going to be low energy. You're going to have, you're going to be very animate. <clears throat> you're going to have a lot of life. You're going to, you know, kick button something, right. Kind of aspect, like go tackle this project or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Right. But it might signal something else, say negative, maybe guilt or fear sure. or some sort of belief. 
right? Yeah, and so um, I, I could break it down in terms of like how I approach stuff. Sorry, it's really windy today and I've got this banging going on on my roof. If you can hear it in the background. It's not poltergeist. I know, totally, absolutely. <laughs> Probably is actually, like don't share this stuff, but yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, basically you got thoughts and feelings is sort of like the, the top layer of stuff in terms of how you approach stuff. And 80% of healing modalities kind of tackle thoughts and feelings, psychology, um, you know, if you have negative thoughts and you disrupt that with positive thoughts, then you can have positive feelings. And there's like this kind of back and forth dynamic that goes back underneath that is what I call pictures. So pictures are ideas, um, different things of how you should behave or operate. I'm a man, therefore I should talk like this, or I shouldn't feel sadness or, you know, different pictures or collections of what you collect over life. Like a common picture in your society is you grow up you get married. You have 1.5 kids, you buy a house, get a good job, get a good education. Those are pictures that we- Programming them. That's one way to look at it. Yeah. And then underneath this, even more is what I would call programming. And I'll get to that in a moment here. But um, but underneath the pictures is what I call core pictures. So core pictures are like your, your triggers, your hot buttons um, and like different wounds. I'm not good enough. The, the lack kind of stuff we were talking about earlier. Um, and so let's you know, take an example of an Olympian. And so maybe an Olympian, they're like, I'm going to do this. And they collect all these pictures about what it means to be an Olympian. I got to eat broccoli and chicken at five in the morning. I got to train six days a week or whatever their, their pictures are about what it means to be an Olympian. But let's say they miss one day. And then they, because of that, it pushes down on the not good enough picture of where it comes from, which is from their father who completely undermined them as a kid. So they've been trying to be this really high profile Olympian or executive or super successful because they've been pushing down on this. I'm not good enough picture and then it triggers that and then their life cycles out they go through a midlife crisis or quarter life crisis or you know existential crisis whatever might go on and then what's underneath that is what i call your programming so common examples of programming are like religious programming you got family programming um there's all sorts there's medical programming there's a lot of medical programming going on in the world right now for example um and that's the the program the operation of like how you should function or think and whatever and everything operates, uh, all your thoughts and feelings and your pictures are based on your, your programming. So let's say you're an 11 year old kid, you know, an extreme example here or two 11 year old kids, um, both of them lose their parents. So they're kind of orphaned. And one is in Western society where, oh my God, poor orphan, that sucks, poor him, poor her, poor whatever. Um, and, and that sets off the, the pictures that poor, they're an orphan. And that creates their thoughts and feelings and so forth. And then you have someone in like an indigenous culture or um, an Eastern culture that's more of a celebration of life in terms of like a bad, ugly thing to see death happen. It creates a different program, creates a different level of pictures and different level of thoughts and feelings about that whole experience, which both to those two kids will be very different when they become adults. Um, And so underneath all of that is what I call your core essence or your, your core sense of self or whatever language you want to use, but that, that core solid, deeper part of yourself underneath all the programming and the pictures um, that one collects in, in life. And so when you can get people connected at that core energetic level, and instead of it being like a group mind of how you should function in the world, or you're this gender, so you should be this way or whatever, and you can get people connected at the core level, that's in my take where unity can really take place. And because as long as you've got programming, like, oh, you're new age and spiritual, we're, we can be friends, you know, or you are a 
conscious uh, consciousness scout, or you are male, or and you know, like there's people are always seeking for those labels in that programming and in those pictures to create unity. But when you're at your core essence, it's it's kind of almost irrelevant because you're already connected. When you go deep, when you go deep, deep, deep enough, you're, there's a point where everyone's connected. From my what I've witnessed. Oh wow! I've just realized that my desire to connect more with other spiritual people is itself kind of divisive in the sense that it's like there's regular there's regular people and then the spiritual people and they're my sort of tribe right and it's like isn't tribalism the whole problem and it went completely under my radar just until now so yeah i mean um, the thing i really like is like, i kind of call it like a hello it's like they may not have the language of like spirituality or spiritual reality or a chakra or whatever you know words are out there but they're really connected to themselves there's some people who are really connected to themselves maybe it's from past working on themselves in past lives maybe it's not maybe it's, they just have a really good sense of who they are and they're good solid people but they don't meditate they maybe have heard of meditation but they're like whatever but you can have a rapport with them like a really good level of collaboration and that kind of aspect and so those are those pictures that interfere with collaboration because well they don't meditate therefore i can't connect with them right or they're what not is meditation people. though right right well my your dog might be meditation totally over there lying in her bed upside down <laughs> yeah my dad's meditation for example like he doesn't meditate but his meditation he says i go out in the canoe in the lake that's his meditation and you know what is meditation for other people it might be work it might be um staring at a wall and just thinking about life and envisioning or it might be you know turn it inward and focus on their emotions or it might be some other thing like channeling oh, what are what are people like channeling some archangel or something like that there's all sorts of different right. things but yeah no that kind of aspects so yeah but what is meditation it's a good question and i think everybody has a different angle on that okay so Suppose you identify that you've got tumultuous energy, uh, emotions. Oh, yeah, we were talking about, I think what you were kind of pointing at was almost ancestral energy or energy that's in a family, right? Mm -hmm. And how do, you how do you discern if it's yours or someone else's other than simply using it as if it's yours but healing try to heal it if it's yours and if nothing happens maybe is there any other method like any clear signs that it's not yours you really got to get to know yourself um if so there's many different ways about that but if you feel like you're out of character or like something's off usually the, those are like the, the subtle signals at the top thirty thousand feet from the perspective from thirty thousand feet from the ground kind of perspective is like something's off in my life or um, can't quite figure this out. Uh, whenever there's any like confusion or uncertainty or whatever, uh, I'm not talking about uncertainty about the future or whatever. Like, I mean, you can have full out certainty about going forward in the, in the future, but you never know until you get there about what's gonna happen. But uh, I'm talking about like that inkling that something's off inside of you. That's, that tells me that you don't really know who you are. Like, so for, for example, most people wanna be happy, but they have no idea what makes them happy. And so when, like, you know, you might even think about it for yourself, like, um, or maybe freedom, but what makes them feel free? 
uh, you know, that kind of aspect, what are your qualities that you want, but what actually allows you to get there. And so that journey um, helps you discover who you are. And then you got to like weed out the stuff that interferes with you getting there. Like, how do you help someone figure it out quickly? Because you said someone has spent ages doing inner work, but then like it was very quick when you focused on their family. Yeah. You, uh, so the, the image I like to use is like a sliver. So most therapies focus, like say you have a sliver on your hand and it gets really, really red, right? There's all this stuff on your hand and like whatever else can happen when the sliver's in for too long. Most people try to deal with the redness because it's the obvious outward issue that's going on the extreme emotions the the rage the the um, scarcity the the poverty the, the whatever's going on for that person people try to do that because it's the most critical issue right now that the, the very obvious i can see it kind of issue but the, the real issue is the sliver you yank that sliver out the body heals the redness pretty quick but if you just deal with the redness maybe the red goes away for a couple of hours but the sliver is still there and the redness comes back Right. That's when people repeat the, the same relationship problems. Like I'm attracting the same, you know, in the spiritual circles. Well, I got this narcissistic <clears throat> such and such again or whatever. Right. And like, it, well, why are you attracting that? Why, why aren't you? Yeah, exactly. Them? Right. Yeah. And so you deal with the sliver, then everything kind of goes away. Like the body, in this case, the sliver analogy, the body heals itself really easily. It's like you have a natural ability to heal itself, but we're, to, to heal yourself, but we're in our program in our society, we're kind of shut down. Like, I mean, you don't let your light shine is a pretty common thing. Like in Australia, the tallest poppy gets cut down and Japan, the nail that stands out gets knocked down. Like there's all these expressions in our world that, you know, you stand out, you're going to get knocked down. And so our light is what heals ourselves. And so the slivers in, in our energy system, if you will, you got to yank those out. And then the, the emotional, signals of rage or freak out or anxiety those are all communication signals telling you that something's going on inside which most people understand on the thoughts feelings concept but when you go down deeper than the pictures and the program and get to your core essence then you remove the sliver that's in your core essence then everything kind of magically adjusts right. so which emotions signal which like programming issues it, it depends on the situation on the person that's, um, but as a rule of thumb, anxiety is family, um, as a rule of thumb, sometimes it's societal, but that usually has a deeper rooted effect that deals with your, your family. And so that, that's a pretty common one. Rage as a rule of thumb is female. Um, and so you need to look around that competition as well as female. Uh, grief is a very male energy. So a lot of women who are struggling with grief will have absorbed that from a male somewhere in their lives, usually their fathers, but somewhere else. Um, but yeah, those are like pretty common ones out there. Um, and then, but it, it's not, again, we don't need to kind of track it on all those kind of 30,000 foot perspective things. It's like, really just get to your core essence. Who are you really? And when you're connected to who you are, those things, those pains, those issues really don't kind of have a major impact in your life anymore when you're, you're really connected to yourself because you're connected to like your meaning your sense of self who you want right. to be in the world your principles whatever it might be but what yeah. techniques do you help your clients with to find their core self um the basis is you need to claim your vision first um so a lot of people kind of will relate to it like a purpose or something but what what's your next step what's your direction and then so from your point a to point b so 
I focus on a clairvoyant practice. So I use vision just to kind of create more neutrality because um, talk to a CAO about clairvoyance and they're like, what are you talking about? But you talk to a CEO about vision, <laughs> we're like, oh yeah, okay. I have visions all the time, you know? <laughs> and so you just find a way to navigate the language where people are at because they don't necessarily have the language. But if you approach it like only like your spiritual tribe, then you're expecting people to understand you, right? And that's basic communication 101. You need to know where people are at and communicate from there and then adjust your language, adapt or have them adapt or whatever it is so that you can understand each other. Um, but yeah, so I focus on a clairvoyant energetic energy-based practice um, and, and really getting clear what is your intention, what is your energy, what are your emotions, and then the fourth thing I focus on are actions, and that may be not doing action or, or removing actions, or that may be taking um, very specific actions that could be passive or incredibly active. So those are like the, the four levers, your intention, your energy, and your emotions, and you multiply and all that stuff, times your actions, and then that creates your outcomes and your results that you want in your life for yourself huh that makes a lot of sense yeah oh. i've got another question though sure. so when it comes to a lot of people distract themselves with it might be drugs it might be tv it might be uh movies all sorts of things right even watching spiritual youtube videos <laughs> it could be that yeah. so um there's a sort of addiction to that yep. so how yeah how, how does one actually what's beneath the surface there because often there's this boredom and you're like okay i've got to do something because that boredom's unpleasant so what's beneath the surface and what's the actual resolution sure if Okay, so boredom and addiction can relate, but um, for me, they're two different things. But like boredom, again, is an emotion. And so if you're not comfortable with boredom, then you're going to try to distract yourself and do something to keep yourself busy. That's a like Protestant work ethic in our society, right? It's been at least since the industrial age of like, be productive, right? That's kind of in our, in our minds of like, we go to school, we sit in cubicles or square lines, like the industrial age. And then we hear a bell when we get into school and we hear a bell when we leave school, right? It's industrial age programming, right? And so that's productivity. And we're basically taught as kids that we have to work. And then when we're 60 or 65 or 70 now or whatever, then you can retire and enjoy life. <laughs> you <know>? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, um, as far as addiction, so... I mean, because of medical waivers and, you know, medical programming is really heightened these days. Of, so medical waiver here, I'm not a doctor or whatever. Um, but with regards to addictions, what deeper level and the language I use for this is uh, people who are high level transmediums and that's my language. So people who have the ability, like their radio station, they can literally tune themselves into this or to that or this thing or like they maybe even hear the conversation on the table that's across the restaurant or something like that. And like, they can like tune into like basically any frequencies um, that they want, whether it's complete invalidation of themselves or complete joy, they can tune themselves into and out of different frequencies, like a radio station, like in the room you're in, if you, um, it, there's, I don't know, maybe a hundred radio stations and it's a matter of what you're tuned into. Right. And like we're in the city you're in, there can be 99.9 or 101.1 or whatever. Like it's basically what you're tuned into. Now, a high level transmedium, if they're wounded and they haven't done the work on themselves and they're not clear on who they are, will randomly match the energy around them. And so it depends on who they're exposed to. 
and like say they're exposed to a, a dark crowd, if you have wounds, you tend to want to navigate towards other people who have wounds. It's called a wound bonding kind of aspect. And so in that space to escape from wounds, people tend to drink or tend to do drugs um, or pornography or uh, like hours on end on social media and YouTube or something to distract themselves from the pain in their, what I call their transmediumship and their ability to kind of really connect to themselves. And usually what these people who are kind of highly addicted, if they could transform that, they have a major mission or major purpose or a major why in life that they're not tapping into, that they've been so shut down on and told that it's wrong, that their dreams are bad or something is like shut down their light. And that if they shut that, turn on that light, then that core message or programming or belief or picture that they've picked up that core wound gets triggered so they don't want to deal with that and because you're naturally inclined to grow and so when you're naturally inclined to grow then you face your stuff but when you take drugs it shuts down your light so light is expansive right and then it shuts back down by the use of drugs and so when people are wounded high level transmediums they're constantly in the cycle of their light is growing <gasps> gotta shut it down gotta shut it down and then they're expanding when they get off the high and start to realize all the stuff that's in their space. And, and I speak from my own personal experience. I got into a lot of trouble as a teenager and had a friend die of a Coke overdose and snapped me out of it really, really quick. And um, so kind of like, I was not good enough, whatever. I started meditating. I was like 18, 19 years old. <laughs> well, lucky like, you. I know. I was like, that's what I do, I guess. That's what people do. And, uh, and so high-level transmediums, don't have the ability to control what they're channeling and then because they don't have the control they try to get control through drugs because then they can keep their vibration low or through social media addiction or through something else and then they keep their vibration low because as soon as your vibration starts to raise it puts light on your stuff in your space you're not dealing with it. and it's usually emotions and there's something right study that emotions are bad or weak or whatever right like you're a guy, you should not be angry. If you're get if you're angry, everybody's going to be scared of you. Or you're a guy, if you have sadness, you shouldn't cry, or you know, like that kind of stuff. Or maybe in the new age culture, it's like, well, if you're sad, then you're vulnerable. You're a nice guy. I should be in a relationship with you. Or you know, like all the stuff that's outside of you. And what's your truth? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of suppose someone is um. <clears throat> in the spiritual community, maybe they feel like they might even have something like that going on, but they've found, they feel like they've found their purpose. Right. Uh, but they're like, I've still got these issues. So how, how would they resolve that? You got to take ownership. So like basically every in, loosely said everybody's kind of seeking freedom so the freedom to pursue their purpose the freedom to something whatever it might be freedom for money might be you know another thing that's going on but like there's an aspect of like personal responsibility has a direct relationship to your freedom and if you're not taking responsibility for something within yourself then your your freedom is diminished you cannot get your freedom and it's like you know, like a teenager who finally gets a car, they're like, man, I'm free. I can go wherever I want, whenever I want. 
parents are like the gas, the insurance, are they going to drink and drive or that, you know, all the responsibilities, right? So your, your freedom comes from taking responsibility and the more responsibility you can take, I'm not talking about stuff that's not your responsibility. I'm talking about responsibility that yours, like your, your emotions, like maybe you have kids and taking responsibility for your kids or your work or whatever it is, the more you can be on top of your responsibilities that you've got in the world. And I mean, we're offloaded a bunch of responsibilities in this life just because of the the game that's on the planet of having to work and go to school and whatever. And, and so we need to deal with that and navigate out of that in some way so that we can access our freedom, but you need to take responsibility for what's been handed to you, either shucking it or um, taking more ownership of it and really running with it. Cause you can really lean into some of the things of the game and the planet right now, but it's really about personal responsibility. Right. There might be this duality where it's either, either you, you don't want to take responsibility for it, and you sort of avoid it in an unhealthy way, perhaps. And the other extreme is that you bear the responsibility of something and get guilt, guilty about it or get <laughs> tripped about it. And yeah. like both of those things aren't healthy ways to deal with responsibility, but certainly, well, what's the healthy way to be responsible? And I will say this over and over and over again, emotions. You need to get on top of your emotions. If you are in any way uncomfortable with your emotions, you will not get your freedom. Because that is physical reality. I mean, emotions exist in spiritual reality as well. But physical reality, having a body, you have access to grounding. You have access to your emotions, body's emotions. And it's part of living life. It's like, why are you here in, in incarnating if you're avoiding your emotions, right? And so part of taking the emotions, like emotions in a really simplistic form are forms of communication. But most people are scared of communication, at least in an emotional level. Like I'm, my body's feeling sad that the lights just turned off. Okay. You know, like pay attention to it or my body's feeling really sad about the world. doesn't mean I have to go fix it, but maybe I do when I do make create a change or something like that, but you need to listen to it and own it. And then you need to be, in my opinion, you need to be responsible for what you want to do with that, that information, that communication. Right. It's part of it, not externalizing it to something else. It, it could be like, I mean, as, humans were social creatures or brains are hardwired for social interaction, right? Like we're most happiest when our brains are firing up with other people, you know, not necessarily like minded, maybe being challenged as well helps your happiness, but well, there's an aspect of like that interaction with something outside of yourself. Um, I mean, there's a lot of theories around evolution or um, not evolution, enlightenment around like being able to completely self-sustained and internal and, you know, accessing nirvana and all that from an internal state. But to get there, you need to have a social interaction. You can't get there by yourself. Um, you need to have um, peers or colleagues or something that kind of maybe out of body kind of guides or something like that. But there's an aspect of like, there, there is always an interaction component that goes on. But if you happen to be in the physical world, you may as well enjoy it while you're here rather than beat yourself up for being here. <laughs> right. So, um, what does mystical activism mean to you? Um, in its really simplistic form, um, you heal yourself, your inner world. That then transforms your community or your inner circle of people and like a ripple effect. And then that transformation of your inner circle then transforms your community. That community transform then transforms the, the state or the province or the county that you're in, then the nation, then the world. And it all starts kind of from within. And then when you can do that in the sense of a group, kind of agreement, if you will, then you can have a, like a profound impact, not just like 
yourself and your immediate inner circle. But when you can combine, you know, like the kind of cool thing about, let's say there's three people in some sort of relationship, business, whatever, friendship or whatever, you, you actually have more than like with two people you have. It multiplies. Yeah, it multiplies. So with two people, you have three relationships. You've got yourself with that person, that person with yourself, and then the two of you in a relationship. With three people, you've got your relationship with the two people, and then with each individual, and then each of those people, the same thing. So it's like nine relationships or something like that within the context of that, or, or maybe even higher. But like, and then we have another person, then you have multiple relationships, and then it just grows in an exponential kind of level. And then when you're focused on energy and consciousness, in like a mystical activism spectrum and working your stuff and everybody's kind of on board, maybe not necessarily the same angle, but let's say everybody's kind of aiming for freedom or peace or, you know, maybe integrity or collaboration, whatever it might be, or unity in your case, um, then it creates that ripple effect in the immediate environment. And it's really creates this really strong container. And then when you have a strong container, that and you take responsibility for that strong container then it creates like a secondary and tertiary kind of ripple effects in, in the world just like the media can do that as well if you watch the news at all it has this kind of secondary effect and then everybody watching the news has this like another ripple effect to that and then you know you may not watch the news but the person around you might watch the news and that bounces off of you and you pick up on it and so it has like this kind of ripple effect in consciousness if you will so mm -hmm. I have this image in my mind of like a cup that's overflowing and awesome. other cups are like getting some of that water too. And when yeah. they fill up, they start overflowing. Yeah. It's like, um, I've seen this there, uh, probably in a really old YouTube video, but you have all these cups stacked on each other. And there's this one in the center and you're pouring the water over here and then it spills over and comes down into the other ones. And then the other ones it's yeah. It's cool. Like that. it kind of, yeah, though it's more like if it goes laterally, somehow if it reaches the edge of the carpet, start filling up at the top, which it kind of seems a bit, I don't know, reverse psychology, but it's a metaphor. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're moving the hierarchy out of the other one. Absolutely. Yeah. Although there is a sort of rebelliousness with hierarchy that exists, which I feel like almost reinforces it. Like you get this with um, you get this in the anarchist um circles, and I'm I'm not gonna I'm not like criticizing them necessarily because I'm I think we could learn a lot from actually from their theory or their ideas, mm -hmm. but um, it's like if you're not opening your heart, but you're like raging against the system and the hierarchy, like it's like there's only one component there. Like, yeah, non-hierarchical interactions are great, but, like, do you see where I'm going with this? I get that. Like, um, I, I'm not an anarchist by any means, but one of the things I like about anarchy is to live without law. And I, my take, like, law comes from royalty, like, a long time ago to keep the peasants in check. And so a law, I think, when people are at a certain level of awareness and sense of self People need that. They need ethics. They need laws to kind of help them navigate the world. And it's kind of like the purpose of religion. It helps people kind of navigate the world and be quote unquote good people, if you will. That's at least the idea of religion, not necessarily how it is in practice. But like, um, but as people become more conscious and heal their stuff and let go of, you know, 
difficult things in themselves inside themselves they're not going to go kill someone you don't need that law for people who are really you know connected with themselves and you know quote unquote growing and that kind of stuff you know you do need like you know that level of personal responsibility for yourself you're not going to just all of a sudden go shoot someone because you know you, you know that kind of stuff why so, would i want to right yeah so so that so the point of law is like the basis of law on an energy component is that it inherently tells us that we're flawed humans are flawed it's the same thing with christianity where you're born a sinner the, the kind of dynamic around christianity like if you're you, you happen to have a body you're somehow immediately a sinner is a kind of dynamic with that and so it's like we're somehow because of laws and you know these different things that were there's somehow something flawed with us we're immediately tarnished as soon as we come into this culture and this program in our society there's something immediately wrong with us like humans greatest fear is rejection right and so we're immediately like if we need to if we can bypass that program we don't necessarily need the laws i mean we need things to like you know we need to be respectful of each other but i mean someone who's really connected to themselves and owns their stuff they're going to be respectful of others just because they're respectful of themselves and in that kind of regard but yeah ownership self-ownership is self-acceptance right yeah key part and of you that. need acceptance to to open your heart because you can't really love if you don't accept you're in fight or flight yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> So I've just, yeah, you helped me make that connection between taking responsibility mm-hmm. and acceptance. Because, sure. yeah, if you're saying, oh, it's them, they're, they're, doing, they're causing it, they're, they're causing my woes, or this thing was causing my woes, then it's obviously, well, it's not acceptance, is it? <laughs> no, it isn't. It's, there's no, like, like, there's so many things you could pick wrong in the world, and the exact same things, different people will pick it as a right thing. And so it's really a judgment and, and judgment is passing the buck on to someone else. It, it, like it's some sort of excuse for you not dealing with your stuff. And in that kind of aspect of like that person's bad or that person's good and like labeling, it's a very, um, what I call analytical kind of dynamic. If you're an analyzer, you can't be aware of yourself as being, you can talk as much as you want about spiritual reality and awareness and clairvoyance and telepathy and all that kind of stuff. But if you're in an intellectual analytical space of it, you're not connected and you're very judgmental of people. And I find there's almost like, a, well, I mean, a lot of people are kind of talking about it like toxic spirituality, but I, I that's even a judgment. So, but it's like when you take ownership or responsibility for yourself, you tend to let go of judgments about even the most extreme cases and situations in, in the world. And you kind of look at the bigger picture, like right now, we could look at the world in a dire situation of like climate crisis, we're hitting up a wall that right now there's Afghanistan and like really weird stuff going on there. There's all these different beliefs and paradigms around COVID that's going on. There's this and that, not this. And if you get stuck in any one of those things, you're caught in the judgment of it. And if you pull back and look at like, what is the purpose of all this? We collectively as 7 billion people, you know, on this planet right now have decided unconsciously consciously whatever however you want to frame it to be in the situation why and is it for the better and what is better is it for the worst what is worse and like why is it worse and why is it better and, and kind of my take on that is like we are being forced in all our collection of choices from the past number of thousands of years to start to make conscious decisions right now because of the planet because of 
you know, uh, globalization, because there's so many of us on the planet right now that we can't get away with stuff. Like everything's visible. It's on the internet in five minutes, you know, you're a celebrity and you swear, oh, it's already on Twitter. <laughs> you know, it's like when your business collapsed and you had to reevaluate everything. Yeah. And like, it's like, and so what do you do with it? And basic 1940s psychology is the people who heal from situations is you create meaning. And that's how you transform, whether it's a meaning of something bigger than yourself, like God, or whether it's a meaning in your family, whether it's, but something that's like bigger than yourself, when you can create meaning from the situation and there, and it may be completely, um, you know, a lot of people think it's by design or it's destiny or fate or whatever the way the world is, or relationships when you get more minor scale, but like, but I think it's a conscious process to like, what meaning are we going to create this in the world? And I, there's a lot of players that want to manipulate what that meaning is right now. And, yes. and that kind of aspect. And for me, I, what I want to create from that meaning is global peace. And for you, maybe it's something like unity. Your piece of the puzzle is unity. And even the most manipulative people have some sort of part to play in this because we're here. They, they come to this world right now because of all of our collection of choices from the past number of years. They're playing a key role in making the world creating the meaning that we want in this world right now for better or for worse and the people who take responsibility and in my opinion get organized and move that direction will have the kind of final word if you will and it all not be kind of judgmental keep everything under control kind of aspect that's one of the strong meanings out there right now is like to try to control everything without you know that kind of stuff so yeah i mean Fear of death is why a large part of why people try to control things. And of course, there's a lot of fear of death at the moment. Yep. Yeah. So what do you do with that? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I've got another question, though, and it relates to something we talked about before. Okay. Uh, so you talked about how you can get very analytical about things, even in spirituality. Yep. And I'm... I'm familiar with that. I was super, I almost identified with being analytical and rational and logical for a long time, right? And that's sort of breaking down or challenged in myself once I'm, you know, getting into spirituality. And I think that in a society where there's a lot of people who are very wounded, do you think people actually, if they're wounded, might, go analytical as a sort of oh yeah protection absolutely yeah I, it's um it's a defense mechanism it's a coping skill people tend to go into their analyzers to cope with the emotions or the overwhelm of the emotions and the stress and when you're three five seven year old i'm using a child to put example now and going through traumatic things and it might not be like a huge deal like modern day divorce isn't a really big issue per se but to a five seven year old that's a big deal they don't know what's happening. Why am I in two homes? What? And they, they create meaning from it from a five, seven year old's perspective. And they got frozen in them when they're 25, 30, and they've developed an intellect or an analytical process to kind of deal with that, depending on their support system around them. Right. And so, but that's very common. It's actually one of the key things in my program I work with is how to um, disable or remove uh, analytical um, overrides, analyzer overrides to, that you're using to kind of cope with life. Well, how do we do that? Um, 
Well, basic level is it comes down to emotions. So emotions, I always circle back to emotions because that's in terms of like a podcast and, you know, giving support to people who are going to listen to this. It's really, if you get on top of your emotions, then, then you can really tackle anything. It can take a lot longer if you do it on your own. It's really useful to get like support to like a coach or a teacher or whatever, uh, that kind of aspect. I really don't recommend gurus because um, then you're following their program instead of like your own truth. Um, but someone who can help you uncover your own truth and your own information is really tantamount, uh, to, to progress from my, from my perspective. Um, it comes back to emotions. Um, you gotta look at why it's there to begin with how, what's the vulnerability, what's the gain, like what you have in place, it's giving you some benefit and, and what can you do in terms of a benefit that outweighs that current benefit? It doesn't mean it's a healthy benefit. Um, some people use a victim wound to get attention. It's not healthy, but they they craved attention as a kid, and they've that's the benefit. They get all this attention from being in the victim kind of spotlight. And so, what is a greater benefit for them to you know separate from that particular um, victim attention game so that they can really kind of move forward in their lives? And usually, you gotta get on top of your emotions. And then you got to figure out how to remove that, which is just simply owning the, the vulnerability to let that in and then figure out something that gives more benefit to you that can support you with like essentially convincing your body or your ego. I call it your body personality instead of your ego. Right. Let that go. So, yeah. And it's not like you lose intelligence by embracing, um, intuition and the non-analytical side but maybe there's a fear that it would okay all right i wouldn't agree with that but like there, oh there's, well, no, no, correct, there's two clarify types. what you think then um yeah, sure two types of intuition there's uh from my experience there's experiential intuition which is like you know you can assess a situation based on past time experiences in like a split moment like your brain functions like crazy fast like a supercomputer right and it's just like super fast you can walk into a room, read the whole situation intuitively, like compute, do, 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 boom, and then you got this like whole understanding of the entire room quickly. There's like, boom, that's experiential intuition. Now, um, I call the other one, I call like, how the heck did I know that intuition? Um, like, how can I have known that particular piece of information about this or that or that and this and that kind of aspect? And that's kind of my field where, where people come to me is like to clear off, clear up their intuition. Um, that's a, like a 30,000 foot perspective from the ground, but there's 12, there are 12 different types of like intuitive capacities. Um, common ones are like clairvoyance or telepathy or um, clairaudiences, clairsentience, you know, gut feeling. Those are common ones that people hear out there. But, um, but when, and to be able to access that, you need to be really clear in yourself, the, the second level of intuition and when you're clear in yourself, you're more nimble, you're more flexible, which, you know, come back to kind of definition of neuroplasticity and like brain function, um, which is very nimble, very flexible, very like all that kind of stuff. And so when your energy system, your intuition is much more nimble and flexible, your brain is actually more functional. And I know this from my um, neurotech years, I was, used to be deeply involved with uh, cutting edge neurotech and, um, that my students would actually do the, the cutting edge neurotech and do like an assessment of their brain, what their brain looked like. And in a certain frequency, like the feel good vibe in their brains would be really deep and rich. And then the people who hadn't meditated or hadn't really worked on themselves 
there is very minimal and they're like the feel good vibe in their, their brains. It was really interesting to kind of watch and, um, or look at. And so intuition, like experiential intuition, picking up all this data, it's most, some people might call it your subconscious, like being able to interpret a situation, but it, and then you've got your, like, how the heck did I know that intuition, which is, um, incredibly useful for next steps and where you're going. Right. So suppose someone is, I can't remember the exact term. I think you said hyper medium or something. Some people would call it an empath, maybe. Sure. Or somebody's more sensitive, right? Yeah. And suppose someone like that were to be got a sort of analytical defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suppose that might actually be a block for uh-huh. their abilities. But suppose. I'll, I'll, I'll just make it personal a little bit, but this is an example. It could happen with other people. Well, it, is it possible for an intu- what is intuitively ascertained, mm-hmm. maybe was it claircognizance or something, or like seeing an image in your mind, mm-hmm. be rationalized as them being logical? Sure. If, and then like, yeah. And I, I feel like that might have been it. Like, or, but is it arrogance? It almost feels like arrogance to say, like, I was, I, I was, I was, <laughs> I, I, had, I had intuitive abilities the whole time, and that was how I knew. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, I mean, that might be a belief system or programming, but I mean, everyone mm. from my perspective has the ability to do it, and I've seen the most um, closed off. This stuff's not real. Atheist, whatever wooby jooby stuff whatever you do leo kind of stuff <laughs> and like <laughs> oh like holy crap like a lot of my clientele have been entrepreneurs or professionals um who are and a lot of what i do can be way out in left field but i take a very grounded very professional way so that people can understand it in their own terms like the dynamic the example I used of a to a ceo just call it a vision instead of clairvoyance they're like oh yeah i totally get that Everybody has the capability. It's more about the language and the communication skills that people have to communicate and interact. Um, and, and, but yeah, and back to another question around um, the arrogance. Like, I mean, people, uh, I attempt to use my skill set not for like parlor games. I use it to benefit. And so, like, what, um, like, doing a shell game or whatever, like, where's the nut under which shell is like, what's that one? I'm gonna use my psychic skills to do that or whatever kind of dynamic. And I, I think that's arrogance. It's not, you know, people are doing it for attention games and rather than like, you know, for the benefit of like healing. I use psychic oh, stuff for yeah. healing as well. You got a good point. And, and certainly I wasn't saying that it's arrogant, but rather yeah. that there might be, yeah, I guess there might be a programming there that it might be arrogant so and yeah it is important it is interesting because we don't want to take life too seriously mm-hmm. but at the same time if we're talking about psychic abilities we don't want to just be using it just for like i mean we're going to be serving right sure by and large yep for most people i mean like look at a kid and they don't you know they're just being intuitive doing their thing being creative you know going about life and what are they using it for? Are they using it for healing? Are they using it for creativity? They're usually more often than not, they're using it to like build stuff and um, connect with their parents or, but it's a lot of connection and a lot of like interaction with people and collaboration. And it's not necessarily about serving, but it's usually about like connecting by and large. 
And I think intuition is like a whole other um, capacity that's been shut down. For, you know, you had the, the witch hunts and stuff, like all that kind of stuff. Like it's been shunned for a long time. But I mean, little kids do it all the time and then they grow up and then adults, well, you got to be, you got to grow up now, you know, kind of stuff. But it's usually for creativity and expansive qualities and new ideas and like solutions and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, generally in a helping, serving kind of capacity from what you see. You can just look at kids who don't have all the programming in their space and um, what they use it for. So would you say that things like art and other creative practices or activities were vital to get back in touch with uh, that aspect of ourselves. It, it absolutely can be. Yeah. And so for example, you know, when I do a painting or something like that, like this uh, painting behind me, this sort of vision, it was, uh, I'm not the best artist in the world, but I love my art. And it's not about like having it to a perfect T and, but it's really about the ideas that come as you, paint or as you do the creative art and it's not and it doesn't need to have like this physical or audio uh, audible sound like music or painting or whatever to be creative like living life is an art right and so there's a lot of ways creativity comes out and the way you kind of express yourself through your art when you're very intentional you get really amazing ideas for some people art is a meditation for example right you get like really great ideas or inspired about stuff and you can really tap into whatever you want to call this all um, through, through art. Absolutely. And yeah. And why limit being creative to one thing? Yeah. You uh, might've might discovered this single thing for me. Um, What's well, podcasting and tarot actually, but you know, the other things I guess too, but I mean, for, there's all sorts of things that could be right. But um, um but for example, I don't know if you've heard of the law of one. I, I kind of get the gist of it. I don't know that all that much behind right, it. Right, but, but I, one of the, sorry, there's a story about one of the, um, there, there was a channeler and there was someone asking questions. The guy who was asking questions, mm -hmm. um, he, he, there's a story about how he, it's described in one of the books that the channeler wrote actually as how, Basically, he started putting a flare, a creative flare into loads of things. Like he's doing mowing the lawn, right? And just the way he would walking would just be sort of, yeah. I don't know, it's almost, well, artistic, I guess. Or like almost like it's a dance with reality or something. Okay, yeah. And, and, and there's so much like cool stuff to that particular piece, right? So A, you're, you're gonna, neurologically, your brain's gonna like try to change and adjust. Like your, your brain is hardwired for homeostasis, for balance. So when you can put yourself out of balance or in a place of discomfort, your brain is actually turned off. It's like, how do I find balance? And, but when you're constantly in a state of balance, your brain shuts off because it, your brain's function is to find balance. So when you're in balance, then your brain is like, okay, I'm okay now, I don't have to, and I'm not talking about um, you know, creating stress or scarcity or whatever to find imbalance, but when you're in a place of imbalance, you can generate more brain neural function. So that's, that's a great idea with the, the, the lawn mowing and being like creative and, you know, whatever. And then um, you're, you know, maybe out in public in the front yard mowing your lawn and then the neighbors see you and that puts you uncomfortable. And then you're kind of, you're adjusting inside um, and then accessing your creative side and your intuitive side. And just like, when you don't, when you're just kind of fluid 
there's an aspect of like your, your energy is just much more open. You're, you're much more connected to your fourth and your affinity and uh, your heart and your affinity and so forth like that. So is this connected to Taoism? Taoism? Yeah. Yin and yang. Oh, um, to, to a degree. Um, I, I would say like, I mean, like my piece of the puzzle, I, I agree to like the yin yang to a certain degree, but I believe there's something even deeper. And I believe, um, kind of the black and white kind of positive negative is kind of more up here. And then there's something even deeper, even truer than that. And from what I've experienced and witnessed. And so I try to, and, and part of the dynamic is like everybody through all the religions and philosophies have always tried to compile it into like one answer so that everybody has that can understand it. And I think everybody has a different answer for what the, the truth is, but the truth at the same time, everybody knows what the one truth is, so to speak, but everybody has a different truth. It's really kind of, it, it's really non-analytical. You can't really understand it with your mind, but you can try to kind of express it, but yeah. Right. So any like thought out concept to represent it can't really do it justice. Yeah. Fair enough. It just like in Islam that the word for God is like, you know, they call it Allah, but it's not really his name or her name or whatever. They, they can't give, God a name because you can't name something that's nameless, right? And so, but they try to give it a concept to so that you can have something to label it so that our minds can understand it. And that kind of aspect. And same with spirituality, there, there's so much that we can understand, comprehend on a conscious level, but then we grow and evolve. And then the, then we think we what we used to understand was like the absolute truth. And then we grow and it's like, oh my God, I thought that was truth. And then we grow and evolve and like it's constant evolution. So get out of your comfort zone, basically. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If you can get out of your comfort zone, not too much where you're like an overwhelmed, stressed and like can't handle it aspect, but there's this, it's called um, in personal development. I think it's called the uh, edge of growth. There's like this like 4% leaning out of your comfort zone. So I think it's somewhere between like one and 4% of where your comfort level is. And if you can lean into that, that's when you're like creative homeostasis, uh, all that stuff comes to, comes to life. Um, and that kind of aspect, but if it's too much, like, you know, if you have business growth that I know that the, the rate of business growth that's considered acceptable is like 20%. If it's too more, too much than that, and you can't handle the growth. And if it's too low, then you're going to give up. Um, kind of aspects so when you're at a certain level of growth you're constantly challenging yourself you're constantly learning new things you're constantly stepping out of your bubble and you know getting out of your getting your ego out of your way your body personality out of the way so that you can learn right and that's kind of a big premise of being on earth for my take is to learn right so when it comes to um whether it's deprogramming ourselves or um or the ego, or you know, um, transcending the ego, whatever, however you phrase it. What other, other than what we've already mentioned? What are the key, most important transformational approaches uh, to? I suppose transcend that or heal that. I the kind of belief or the concept or the context I come from. Is that underneath all the stuff you've got inside of you, all the drama, the, the the pictures, the stuff you've gone through in your life, underneath it all, your truth is there and you know your way out. Okay. 
for some people, it takes a lot longer. For some people, it's really quick and easy, but your truth is always there. Sometimes it's tainted by some invalidation, some negativity. And, but whatever you are conscious of is it's been filtered through all your layers from your core. And so like, say you have this, um, I'm not good enough. And kind of that, that's kind of filtered and you're struggling with depression or anxiety that I'm not good enough and that, that kind of aspect. So what is that pointing to? It's not pointing to you not being good enough. There's something that you've absorbed or taken on that energy that is a bright spark inside of you that you internalize someone else's jump towards you when you're a kid or as an adult or wherever, bullying, wherever it may have been, you internalize that junk. And what is that junk? What was that junk attracted to? And you can kind of de deconstruct that in an analytical process in a certain way, but there will be emotions. And then you can figure out what that core truth about yourself, that that energy was aimed at. And you're like, okay, it's not about, I'm not good enough. It was like, I'm a bright spark or, or whatever it is. And, you know, I kick ass, you know, whatever it might be, but like, but it always, whatever you've got going on, always can, you can always deduct it underneath all of that to something that's inherently good about who you are or, you know, good, bad, but we're like, that's really completely valuable about yourself, regardless of what stuff you got in your head and all that kind of stuff. It's just about getting underneath that. Right. Of, yeah. So it's almost like you're saying you can look at, yeah, you might have a negative sense of self-worth, right? But the cause of that is, a way in which you are worthy, which has been of where, where there's something like stuck to it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, yeah, like almost like, I don't know, like this, I, I'm picturing this, like there's a black goo that's like stuck or maybe even a parasite that's stuck to a certain thing and it twists it. So yeah, like but there's, maybe there's certain ways of there's reasons why you don't feel good enough. And it, it could be what your parent told you, this particular thing. And I you, guess you, you need to investigate that. It's not just, yeah, you're not good enough. Right. If you were to go to like kindergarten or grade one or something like that, and, and I'm not saying have a belief about God or whatever, but like, say you have that dynamic about God is real and what have you. And you wouldn't tell, say to any one of those kids that they're not, you know, um, they're not good enough to be in relationship with God. They're, they're all divine. You would not say that. Like if you were to go in there, unless you're a real piece of work and had a lot of work to do, but like th there's no way you would pick that kid and that kid has the right to be, have a relationship with God, but those two don't um, kind of aspect. And so where does that come from? And, and so, and, and so it's just a lot of stuff you accumulate um over the years and relationships with people and stuff like that and then in terms of like my process to really kind of get under it is really your intention what's your core intention um I, do you have hidden agendas or do you have a really clear intention so hidden agendas are usually caked with insecurity unknown stuff whatever um like say you want to have a date with that person over there and you're, you're, you're clear of your intention right away, but then you go into insecurity. I'm not good enough. She won't have, you know, have me all that kind of stuff. So you get these hidden agendas and then you figure out something to make that contact in some way where, you know, the extreme level is like stalking, but then the, you know, more common example is get your friend to contact her, you know, or whatever. Right. And does she like me or, you know, you assess it out before you like, you know, your clear intention, you're just scared of rejection. You know, right, right. 
That's yeah. a good example. So I guess, but do we figure it out logically or do we feel it out? It depends on your, your makeup. Um, so a lot of people can be logical and completely 100% healthy. Some people are completely feelers and be 100% healthy. Uh, depends on the dynamics, but most people aren't on opposite ends of that spectrum. Even empaths um, are, are they, you know, they say they feel everything, but they're still logical. Like most people base their decisions on emotion first and then try to logically rationalize why they made that decision. But um, everyone's got logic and everyone's got emotions and feelers and all sorts of other kind of um, faculties. And, um, but yeah, and so, but yeah, so you can take that and then you got your clear intention and then you've got your energy. Is your energy a low vibration? Is it a high vibration? Um, is it arrogant? Is it um, lacking integrity? Is it completely impeccable and you're really on point? Are you, you know, what, what's going on with, with your energy? And then the other thing you want to look at is are your emotions. And so do you have, are you depressed? Are you constantly angry? Are you completely enthusiastic about life? Like those are different things that you need to kind of gauge. Um, in terms of the basis of like spirituality, I kind of follow the basis of enthusiasm. So if you break down the word enthusiasm, it translates into entheos or in God. And so if you're not enthusiastic about life, my take is that you're not actually living life. You're not actually connected to the divine or the sacred or God or whoever in that kind of aspect. And um, there, there's a frequency above that, that I, basically is freedom. And so, but enthusiasm gives, from my perspective, gives you the basis of your way out of different things. Like if you're enthusiastic about a mission or a purpose or uh, a relationship, which is different than body excitement or ego excitement or in that kind of aspect. But like, if you're like, your enthusiasm is going to get you through whatever kind of wall of rejection, fear, or, you know, that girl or that guy that you want to talk to. Like if you're super enthusiastic about it and your enthusiasm stronger than your, your fear of your rejection, you're going to get through it. You're going to make your way to that kind of dynamic. So there's always some degree of light, no matter how shrouded in darkness someone is, right? Absolutely. And if you Absolutely. follow that light, you find more light and more light. And then you're shrouded in light if you just keep following that. Yeah. So and worst case scenario, there's always a, what I call a gold thread. There's always a thread out. Worst case scenario. Yeah. Right. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add uh, before we finish off? Because I feel like, you know, it's been a pretty good interview. Cool. Um, just another kind of quick tip, um, just for useful for audience members, is to really like one thing I find that my clients and I find useful is to like unpack your mind, unpack your heart, and just like get all your thoughts out of your space on the piece of paper and just really like get it out and like stop letting it take up your bandwidth. Like even thoughts like I'm not good enough, like get it out, write it on paper. Um, don't be ashamed of it. It's in your system for some reason. You want to learn something about it. You took it on for some reason. Get it out of your head. Um, and then you'll find that you'll recover from stuff a lot quicker and you make better decisions. So just getting it out of your system. And then an important part of that and mentioned earlier is to like really um, let someone witness that list of what you, you write out on that piece of paper and um, watch just the magic of that transform your life. It's quite, first time I did that, I was like, nah, it's not. And then the second time, I'm like, really? And it's really quite, um, it's mind-boggling. Like, like when you really, like, I mean, I've spent like 60,000 hours in this field of energy work and mastering this stuff, and I'm still kind of surprised all the time. And, and this is one of the latest things I've been working with. It's like, 
wow that's like really really cool so yeah mm -hmm. all right then well, it's a bit less pleasure having you on here and i'm sure, yeah and i'm sure the listener enjoyed it too so um well uh, <laughs> have a great day listener and same with you leo all right you too nicholas have a beautiful evening and day all right bye